16 and our text verse for this evening I'll just move this up a little bit Psalm 16 and verse number 8 is my text verse now I hope you've got your Bible and hope that your fingers are all limbered up because we're going to gather a few passages in the Bible this evening this is sort of more like a Bible study than a sermon you know, it is what it is. Uh, and I'm never quite sure how I'm going to end off, but we shall see. Psalm 16, verse 8. <clears throat> I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be moved. And let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the uh, beautiful sunny day. And dear Lord, we bow before you. Uh, acknowledging that we need you at every minute of every day, but we do need you at this time too. We would ask for your help, your blessing, uh, your Holy Spirit's work in lives. And please encourage us uh, this evening in the day in which we live. We pray that you'll answer this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> in uh, 1517, the 31st of October, fellow named Martin Luther nailed a what was called the 95 Theses to a church door in a city named Wittenberg a very famous historical event and basically these 95 uh, things on this bit of paper or parchment or whatever it was basically said that Roman Catholic Church doctrines and practices were evil and harmful. Now this caused a big stir in Germany at that time and he was ordered to stand before the emperor at an assembly and this assembly was called the Diet of Worms, not a Diet of Worms, the Diet of Worms and this took place uh, about four years later in 1521. And he was told to recant or take back what he said about the Roman Catholic Church. And this was his famous reply, and I quote this uh, <clears throat> word for word. Luther said this, For it cannot be either safe or honest for a Christian to speak against his conscience. Here I stand. I cannot do otherwise. God help me. Amen. Well, he may have said amen, but that's what he said. He said, Here I stand. Now, we may not agree with everything that Martin Luther believed or did, but he was a great man, a great man of conviction and a man of courage. And um, I wonder, as Martin Luther said that, whether he had Psalm 16, verse 8 in mind. This is David speaking. He said, I've set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be moved. Or he may have put it this way. Here I stand. First Chronicles chapter 11, please. First Chronicles and chapter 11. We'll have a little refresher course in a few uh, passages in the Bible. First Chronicles chapter 11. And this is uh, <clears throat> the, the time when Israel... Uh, came together 
to make David king over all of Israel. And um, <coughs> chapter 11 and verse um, <coughs> 11, First Chronicles 11, 11. And we get a historical account of uh, David's mighty men. Uh, this is the number of the mighty men whom David had, Jashabim and Hakmonite, the chief of the captains. He lifted up his spear against 300 slain by him at one time. After him was Eleazar, the son of Dodo, the Ahite, who was one of the three mighties. I'm not sure whether I'm saying that correctly, doesn't matter. He was with David at Pasdamim, and there the Philistines were gathered together to battle where was a parcel of ground full of barley. And the people fled from before the Philistines, and they set themselves in the midst of the parcel and delivered it and slew the Philistines, and the Lord saved them by a great deliverance. So here's the story. Uh, David had his 30 mighty men, and then he had, uh, there were three above that, his three greatest men, and we, learnt, we read about two of them there, and in particular, <coughs> excuse me, this uh, fellow Eleazar, the son of Dodo. And uh, you know, I've got this theory, Pastor Matthews, I don't know what your theory is, but you know who was the greatest soldier in that time? I think it was David himself. Now, I haven't got a verse to uh, prove that, but I think David was the number one. But under him, at least, were these mercenaries and these men. And what happened at this particular time, David was um, with this fella. I've got to put my glasses on here. He was with this fella, and they were battling the Philistines with um, Eleazar. And um, here they are in this parcel of ground, and they were outnumbered, and the soldiers that were with them, how do we put it? They vermoosed, they shot through, they just took off, they were scared. So there was David and this other fella, just two of them. Just the two of them there amongst uh, fighting this whole garrison of the Philistines. And they set themselves in the middle. You know, David's, uh, and maybe when David penned Psalm 16 verse 8, maybe he had this account in mind, we don't know. Maybe he did, but he said, because, um, because the Lord is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. He said, listen, there's just the two of us here. We're not going anywhere. And they stood and they fought off this whole, uh, it doesn't say how many it was, but obviously there was a lot. There was a, enough for the rest of the army to take off scared. And the Lord saved them by a great deliverance. Okay, come over to Nehemiah. Nehemiah. And where are we? Chapter 6. Nehemiah chapter 6. Nehemiah chapter 6. <clears throat> Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Job, Psalms, Proverbs. Here's Nehemiah. By the way, what did Ezra do? Anyone awake this evening? He built the... The what? He built the temple. Okay, so what did Nehemiah do? What was his job? Anyone awake this evening? He built the wall. He built the wall. Here's Nehemiah. Came to pass when Sanballat, chapter 6, verse 1, and Tobiah and Geshem, the Arabian, and the rest of our enemies heard that I builded the wall and that there was no breach left therein, though at that time I had not set up the doors upon the gates, that Sanballat and Geshem sent unto me, saying, Come, let us meet together in some one of the villages in the plain of Oh No. Oh No. Oh No. 
And I sent messages unto them saying, I'm doing a great work so that I cannot come down. Why should the work cease whilst I leave it and come down to you? They sent unto me four times after this sort, and I answered them after the same manner. You know, if you're going to do something for God, you're always going to have opposition. There's always going to be people opposing what you do. Whether it's the world, whether it's Christians thinking that you're a nut, that you're a fanatic, doesn't matter. There's always going to be opposition, and that's what happened in the case of Nehemiah. All right, come down here to verse, uh, where are we? Verse number 10. Afterward, I came into the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, the son of Mehetabiel, who was shut up. And he said, let us meet together in the house of God within the temple. Let us shut the door of the temple, for they will come to slay thee. Yea, in the night will they come to slay thee. So here's this fellow, um, <clears throat> down to verse 12. And lo, I perceive that God has not sent him, but that he pronounced this prophecy against me, for Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. So here's the Sanballat and, and Tobiah and Geshem. They, they couldn't get... Uh, Nehemiah to move so they hired this fellow and he said hey Nehemiah let's go into the the temple you'll be safe in there and of course all the while if he had gone in there someone was going to knock him on the head uh, and he figured out he was a smart fellow Nehemiah he realized that he was a hired gun uh, a, uh, a hitman and so back to verse 11 look what Nehemiah said should, should such a man as I flee and who is there that being as I am would go into the temple to save his life. I will not go in. Should such a man as I flee, he might have put it this way. Because the Lord is on my right hand, I shall not be moved. I shall not be moved. Come over here to Daniel chapter 3. Daniel chapter 3. We all know this story. This is the, uh, the account of uh, uh, King Neb, King Nebuchadnezzar. And uh, he made the big, uh, the big golden image and um, he said, listen, uh, uh, I, I'm gonna, I want everyone to, uh, to worship me. So we've set up this great big image of uh, Nebuchadnezzar, the golden image. And what time the instruments play, you know, the sackbut, the dulcimer, the, all this, uh, it's probably sort of Hillsong sort of music. But he said, listen, all this sort of music, when it starts playing, uh, I want everyone to bow down to me. And so this music started playing, whatever the music were, and whatever all the instruments were, you can figure that out later. Uh, and everyone bowed down, except the three Hebrew boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they're just standing there like this, standing out like a sore thumb. There they were. And the king looks down. Who is that? Uh, now, the king really liked these fellas. He did. He liked these fellas. So he actually gave them a second chance. He said, fellas, come here, look. Look, whatever you want to do, can you just bow down? Just bow down. Just, just, just do what everyone else is doing. That's all you've got to do, okay? Do what everyone else is doing. Let's go. Daniel chapter 3, verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego answered and said to the king, Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. If so be, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of thy hand, O king. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Now, they didn't say, I shall not be moved, but they might have said it that way. Because the Lord is on my right hand, I shall not be moved. And I love what they said. O king, um, our God can deliver us from any furnace, but even if he doesn't, we're still not going to bow down. 
And of course, you know the story, how they got thrown into the furnace. It was so hot. Um, crazy old King Neb heated it up seven times more than it normally was. And the people throwing them in died. And he looked down in the fire and he said, didn't we throw three fellas in? But there's a fourth one. There's a fourth man in the fire. And he looks like the son of God. Um, Shadrach, Meshach and Ebenego say, no, 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 we're, we're not going to move. And the Lord was on their right hand. New Testament, come over to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. Here's Paul talking to the, the church at Ephesus. And he was about to leave the church at Ephesus. Come down here to, uh, where are we? Verse number, number 22. He's leaving the church at Ephesus. He says, now, behold, I go bound in the spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there, save that the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me. Now, Here's the church at Ephesus. The elders are saying, oh, Paul, don't go to, don't go to Jerusalem. Don't, you, you're going to cop it. He says, look, I don't know what is ahead of me. All I do know is that when the Lord saved me and when the Lord commissioned me for the work that he gave me, that everywhere I go, I cop it. So I understand that. He said, um, I don't know what's going to happen, um, but bonds and afflictions abide me. I always end up in jail. I always end up shipwrecked. I always end up getting stoned. I always end up getting beaten and so on. I always end up getting chased out of towns. I always end up getting let over walls in, in baskets. He said, that's what God has for my life. That's my lot in life. And I don't know what's going to be for me, but I know it's going to be bad because God told, God has told me, this is, Paul, you're going to suffer many things for the kingdom of God's sake. We think we suffer sometimes. We don't suffer at all. But look what Paul said here. Verse number 24. But none of these things move me. None of these things move me. Maybe he could have put it this way. Because the Lord is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. He went on to say there, verse 22, 24, so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I've received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. He said, I don't care if I end up in jail. I don't care if I end up beaten up or, or whatever it is. I don't care if I die. In fact, for me to depart and be with the Lord, that's my preference. That's my preference. But I understand it's more needful for me to be here on planet earth at this time. That's what God has for me. But it says, facing those things, that does not move me. I'm going to do what God wants me to do. I'm going to be what God wants me to be. All right, we're nearly done with our moving around the Bible. Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. And this will be our last passage for this evening, unless we go to another one. Oh, we might have one more. <laughs> We're making pretty good time, eh? Now, I don't know what's for dinner tonight. I'm not sure. Uh, I'm not sure whether it's... It's, it's not a nine-course meal, is it? No, so it doesn't... It's not going to burn or anything like that. All right, I don't feel too bad then. Um, <clears throat> where was I? Ephesians chapter 6. All right, here we go. Ephesians 6. Verse 
Verse 10, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to, what's that word? Stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to, what's that word? withstand in the evil day and having done all to what's that word okay verse 14 what's the first word stand therefore do you think there's a theme running through these verses anyone want to have a guess at what word it is yeah stand stand i think the author to ephesians here is saying because the lord is at my right hand i'm not going to move in fact we need to stand we need to stand right where we are. You know, the evil day is definitely upon us now. And as we mentioned, I think it might have been to the Sunday school class this morning. I'm <clears throat> I forget what I did an hour ago, let, let alone this morning. But <clears throat> the days are getting darker spiritually. We understand that. But you know what we need to do? And, and, and verse number uh, 12 taught us all about that. Spiritual wickedness in high places and so on. That's, 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 what the that's what the Christian's battle is. It's a spiritual battle. But we need to stand. So let me encourage you this evening uh, to stand. Now, how, how do we prepare to stand? Now, we don't have time to, to um, go through the, the Christian's armour here. And I'm sure you, you're familiar with this. And there's most probably, there are no doubt, thousands of references and sermons and studies on the Christian's armour. But this is how we prepare to stand. We have the shield of faith. We have the loins protected by truth. We have the breastplate of righteousness. We have the sword of the spirit. We have uh, uh, praying always. The, I call that the force field of uh, protection is prayer, praying. And we also have, very interestingly, uh, verse 17, the helmet of salvation. The helmet of salvation. You ever thought about why we have a helmet of salvation? Now this, could, this most probably means several things. Obviously, if you're going to stand, you've got to be saved. That's handy to be, belong to the Lord. But you know what? <clears throat> I was thinking about this. Um, evangelists do think about things at times. Um, we have a lot of time on the road to think about things. What was a helmet used for? It was for protection. A helmet protects the noggin, but a helmet does something else. Um, a helmet identifies which army you're on. You ever thought of that, about that, Brother Christie? A helmet identifies which army you're on. Now, if you look at, at the slouch hat, you know, with the, the little buttoned up, which armies does that represent? The Australian Army, the infantry. You look at the, um, uh, you know, the... Uh, <coughs> The, the German World War II, that, the duckbill helmet, you know, that, that I'm going to say silly looking helmet, but it most probably was a good helmet. But um, instantly, you knew, at least in the movies anyway, instantly you knew who was on the German side because of the shape of the helmet. And, um, uh, I, and I'm pretty sure from what I've read about the, 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 the Roman army, uh, you knew exactly which army it was because of the shape of the helmet. So in a very real way, when we put on the helmet of salvation, you know what we're saying? I'm in the Lord's army. I'm in the Lord's army. I belong to the Lord. 
and I'm going to stand in the Lord's army. Again and again and again, we are told here, we do all these things to stand. We are going to stand and we are going to fight in the spiritual warfare. Unfortunately, in this day and age, so many have moved from where they once stood. And Christians are not always standing where they used to stand. Where have we moved from? Well, we've moved from the Bible. We have. We've moved from the Bible. We need to stand on God's word. We need to stand on God's word. And you know how we stand on God's word? <clears throat> we have to know God's word. We have to know it. Uh, <clears throat> and I'm 100% sure in this church you know God's word. And, and, and multiple times every week, whether you're a little, little kid or an adult, you're taught the word of God. That's the same with uh, my home church, the Coffs Harbour Bible Church. But we are in the tiny minority. We really are in the tiny minority. Even among uh, <coughs> Christian churches, we are in the minority. Um, <coughs> Christians don't know what the Bible teaches. You say, how, how do you know what the Bible teaches? Well, well, you read it. That's handy. Read it every day. Study it. Learn it. Listen to it being taught, being preached. Be faithful. You know, Paul said to Timothy, Timothy, uh, you need to continue. You need to continue in the things that I've taught you. And then he goes on to say, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for, for doctrine and correction and so on. That's why in this day and age, we, we have to make sure we teach our kids the Bible. Teach them the Bible and teach them the King James it's not that hard. If There are some archaic words, but guess what? Someone invented a dictionary. Just look it up, the word. It's not that hard. You say, well, what about the these and the thous? Well, what about the these and the thous? Um, they're actually really good. Um, <clears throat> the and thou, ye and your, one's singular, one's plural and so on. It's not that hard. We need to teach our kids the Bible. So many are not standing on the scriptures. And then <clears throat> there's another way we've moved from where we once stood, and that's with service. Um, here, we'll get to another passage. This will be the last one. James chapter 1. James chapter 1, and, unless we go to another passage. James chapter 1. And I often preach on James chapter 1. I just love the book of James. Pure religion, and, and the previous verse talks about vain religion, but pure religion, and by the way, don't be, don't be afraid of the word religion. It's a Bible word. Pure religion, or in other words, Christian, practical Christianity that is distilled. Remember what did James say? He said, um, I'll show you my faith by my works. Works don't say, but he said, I will demonstrate my faith by my works. And he said, this, this is distilled Pure, practical Christianity. And it's two things. First thing is this, it's, it's service. Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction. What was he saying? Find those who are in greatest need and serve them. Look after them. Look after the needy. Now, the, 
the fatherless and the widows in this day and age, we have, they didn't have social security that I know of in the, day, in the, in the time of James when, when this was written. And, we, and things are a lot easier now because there is an income stream for people who... But people still have needs, whether they're physical needs, whether they're emotional needs. We all have spiritual needs. Whatever those needs are, that's, that's service. And that's how we serve God. We serve God by serving others. And yet we live in a day and age where Christians are so selfish. I just want me time. I want to, I want to dedicate my life to, to me. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't have a holiday. I'm not saying you shouldn't take some long service leave. I'm not saying you shouldn't have a rest. I'm not saying any of that stuff. But I'm just saying when, when a Christian gets to the point where they say, listen, I've served God for so many years. I now need some time for myself. Just a couple of years. Guess what? When someone does that, they will always backslide. Every single time, 100%. I get money back guarantee. If you say, listen, I just want, I just want time for me. I, I, I've had enough serving God now. Uh, you will backslide. We need to serve others. You know, uh, Senor Alvarez here, he doesn't look 80, does he? He doesn't look 80. He looks about 90. No, he doesn't. He looks about, he looks about 65. But he's 80. Well, that's what he told me. I don't know whether he was telling fibs or not, but he said he's 80 years old, fit as a fiddle. And uh, <clears throat> his wife, Mrs. Alvarez, you know what they do? They just serve. They just serve. That's like the, I call it the Alvarez Hilton down there. They've got people coming and going and going and coming. It's like Grand Central Station. And, um, and, and they just spend all their time either, um, uh, well, thankfully, Mrs. Alvarez does the cooking. But uh, uh, cooking, actually, Brother Alvarez can cook. He's a mean cook. Uh, he's not as good as his wife, but he's still a mean cook. And uh, that porridge, he's trying to get me to eat the porridge every morning. And, um, uh, and they've got a rabbit at their place too. I suggested some rabbit stew, but he didn't like that idea. But anyway, um, uh, what am I talking about? It's, uh, they just serve. And then when they're not cooking, they're doing laundry and cleaning. And then um, there's more people coming this week. And then I think when, when they get rid of me and their family, there's more people. Man, they just serve. That's their life. What a blessing. What a blessing. And I know there's others here like that too. And you may not be able to do what they do. You do something else. But make sure that you're serving God somehow, some way. Serving God by serving others. That's one way that we can stand. So we need to know the Bible, the scriptures. We need to serve. And then lastly, this evening, we need the second, and we see it in the second part of James 1.27 here. We need to keep being sanctified. What is pure, distilled, practical religion is service and it's sanctification. It says to keep himself unspotted from the world. In other words, we are not to have the stain or the stench of the world on our lives. We are supposed to be, we are supposed to stand. We're different. We've got a different helmet. We're in the Lord's army. We are to stand. Now, I'm not saying we have to be holier than thou, but everyone in your workplace should know that you're a Christian. And if your testimony is right, you don't have to say anything. People will know that there's something strange about you when you go to work and you don't, you know, you're not, what does the Bible say? You're not running with them to excess. You're not using their language and so on. They should know there's something different about you at your place of employment, at your school, at your college, at your uni, whatever. 
You know, the average believer today lives like the world of a generation ago. And that is really sad. We need to stand. Can I... We've got time for one story. I haven't told many stories today, so I've got to give you one story. Back in 1988, um, I started working for... uh, it was Australian Airlines, it used to be TAA. Who remembers TAA? Fly TAA, the friendly way, try another airline. <laughs> Our major competitor was ANSET. Don't chance it with ANSET. <laughs> try another airline. And then it got swallowed up by Qantas. So um, I spent a number of years working um, in commercial sales and um, we were living out at St Mary's at the time, but uh, we were coming, we'd been serving at another church, but we came, we were back at Conwell Park for a few years. And um, the very first Christmas, my head office was Chifley Square, in, right in the middle of Sydney here. And uh, my very, very first Christmas, it was early, early December, we had a, a sales meeting. And I had, I had big clients, like I had, my clients were the, the largest travel agents in Sydney. And then a, a lot of corporate clients as well. And I had to look after those clients and um, try and take business off ANSET, which we did very well. And um, <clears throat> this particular Christmas, was, I think it was 1988, my area sales manager, um, we had, we had a, a meeting in her office. She's a very nice lady. And she said, look, um, we've got to go and look after our corporates. So I've got uh, oh, boxes everywhere. She said, I've got your gifts to go and give to your big accounts. Now, what, what, do, what, what do people get in the corporate world for Christmas presents? What, what's the Aussie thing? What do you give them? Alcohol, plonk, grog. Now, I don't know anything about alcohol. I just know that this stuff was expensive. I, you know, I, don't, know, I don't know much about it, but I, was en- I, I knew enough to know it was really expensive stuff. So they're giving out these... Um, uh, you know, boxes and the, the, all the sales reps are taking this stuff, and I don't know how much actually made it to the. <laughs> I don't know how much actually made it to the uh, the clients, but anyway, I left mine there and I went back home and I talked to Rob and I said, Rob, um, I don't like this. I'm really um, uneasy about giving alcohol out. What do you reckon? She says, Yeah, no, you can't do it. So I tossed and turned that night and and I said, Lord, I have to do what you want me to do. I have to stand here. So I went in the next day and um, went and saw Karen, my boss, area manager. I said, Karen, can I, can I sp- speak to you for just a moment? I said, look, I'm a Christian and um, <clears throat> come what may of what I'm about to say, I look, I, I'm just really uncomfortable giving out alcohol um, as a Christian to these, um, my, you know, my clients corporate customers um, I, I'm just I just can't do it I'm sorry and she said oh Frey she said that's fine she said look I've got a whole pile of I've got several boxes of Christmas puddings she said take the Christmas put-. she said no that's really corny you can't give Christmas puddings to million dollar account she said take two boxes of Christmas puddings take them home give them to your family <laughs> so I went home with two cartons of Christmas like 48 you know those Lions Club Christmas puddings I had 48 of them Jeff and I t- you know for the next five years everyone in our family got Christmas puddings for about the next five years every I don't know whether I, I don't know whether Paul got some I've got no idea but anyway everyone else got them and and uh, the Lord worked it out you say what 
What if she said, what if she had a said, listen, you either do it or you go and get a desk job. You can answer phones. Well, that's what it was, that's what it was. But I did think, and I'm not saying I'm anywhere in the class of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, but I did think, well, God can get me out of this and if he doesn't, I've still got to do what's right. And that wasn't anything great. It was just, it was, it was a big thing. It was a big thing at the time. You know what we need to do? We need to stand. We need to stand. We are in evil days and more than that. Let me encourage you to stand for Jesus. Let me encourage you to put on that helm of salvation and say, yeah, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian and I, I'm not ashamed to say I'm in the Lord's army. I, I'm not doing that. I'm not going there. I'm going to stand where, where I've always stood. That's with the Lord's people. And if you don't like it, that's fine. I'll still be your friend. I'll still be kind. But I'm going to stay here where <clears throat> I've always stood. I'm going to stand on the scriptures. I'm going to stand on service. I'm going to keep serving God in whichever capacity I can. And I want God to keep sanctifying me. Now, not perfect, understand that. But we need to stand. So let me encourage you to stand as the songwriter said many times I've left my saviour too ashamed to call him mine but from now I'll be defender of that saving name sublime stand for Jesus serve him ever never be a castaway kept by love no man can sever I'll be true till glory's day a missionary to Africa wrote the following many years ago and he said this he said I'm part of the fellowship of the unashamed. The die has been cast. I've stepped over the line. The decision has been made. I'm a disciple of his and I won't look back, let up, slow down, back away or be still. My past is redeemed. My present makes sense. My future is secure. I'm done and I'm finished with low living, sight walking, small planning, smooth knees, colourless dreams, tamed visions, mundane talking, cheap living and dwarfed goals. I no, I no longer need preeminence, prosperity, position, promotions, plaudits or popularity. I don't have to be right or first or tops or recognised or praised or rewarded. I live by faith. I lean on his presence. I walk by patience. I live, I'm lifted by prayer and I labour by Holy Spirit power. My face is set. My gate is fast, my goal is heaven, my road may be narrow, my way may be rough, my companions few, but my guide is reliable and my mission is clear. I will not be bought, compromised, detoured, lured, turned back, deluded or delayed. I will not flinch in the face of sacrifice or hesitate in the presence of the adversary. I will not negotiate at the table of the enemy, ponder at the pool of popularity or meander in the maze of mediocrity. I won't give up, shut up, or let up until I've stayed up, stored up, prayed up, paid up, and preached up for the cause of Christ. I'm a disciple of Jesus. I must give until I drop, preach until all know, and work until he comes. And when he does come for his own, he'll have no problems recognizing me. My colors will be clear. Uh, brothers and sisters, we need to stand. Just like Daniel stood. Just like Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego stood. Just like David stood. Just like um, Nehemiah stood. Just like the Apostle Paul stood. Why and how can we stand? Because the Lord is at my right hand.
Isn't that awesome? Doesn't matter what this, how this, this, said this morning, this world has to get worse before it gets better. We understand that. Jesus is coming back. The tribulation is coming. That's fine. Whatever happens, happens. We need to stand. We stand on the word of God. In fact, we need to stand up for Jesus. So be encouraged. Be strengthened to stand.